I want to ask this morning, whose influence are you under? Who influences you? You know, people are easily influenced. You ever had a friend, you watch them begin to hang around another group of people, and all of a sudden, they begin acting a little different because they're around this group of people. Or you might know somebody you love, and and you might be concerned because whenever they're around a certain person, they become influenced in a way that sometimes is positive or sometimes is negative. We all can be influenced. And I'm asking you, whose influence are you under? And it's not just people that can influence us. Boy, if somebody's out there driving on the road, swerving back and forth, and a police officer pulls them off, they might charge them with what we call DUI, driving under what? The influence. They're under the influence of something that has changed their behavior. Well, I want to talk about how we need to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God in our life. We're in the middle of a series where we're learning that while the world is growing increasingly secular, it does not mean people are less spiritual. People are hungry for spiritual truth, and they are looking for spiritual reality in life. But the one who really shows us what uh, is real is God's presence, and that is the Holy Spirit. And we've been learning about the presence, the Holy Spirit of God. And today, we're turning in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to look at a famous verse about the Holy Spirit in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. In these first couple of weeks, what have we learned? We've learned that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of God. He is God's Spirit in our midst and in our lives. We've learned that the Holy Spirit last week speaks to us because he wants to convince us of certain things. So it's the Holy Spirit who whispers in our heart about our need for forgiveness and about the sufficiency of Jesus Christ and encourages us to put our trust in Jesus. That's the Spirit's job, to convince us to trust Christ. Well, what happens when we've opened our heart and received the Holy Spirit in? What does the Holy Spirit want to do in our life now? Well, today we're going to look at a number of verses that deal with what it means to live uh, under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to begin by looking in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. Now, this is a familiar verse. And this morning I want to read it in the New Living Translation where it says this. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. The King James says, do not be drunk with wine, which leads to excess. Another translation says, do not be drunk with wine. It leads to debauchery or dissipation. And those are big words that we don't use very often. So I just like this translation. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. The Greek word is a word that means to live irresponsibly. It means to live self-destructively. And it's saying, don't do that. And then it gives the positive. It says, but instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? If you hang around churches and Christian people long enough, you might hear somebody talking about the filling of the Holy Spirit or what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, today, I want to learn two things. We're going to talk about these two things. First of all, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And then secondly, how can I be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, first of all, let's understand what are we talking about when we are talking about the filling of the Holy Spirit? Because sometimes people have a lot of misconceptions. There's even some misunderstanding about what it really means to be 
filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, let me give you four things we can learn from Ephesians 5.18 about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. First of all, to be filled with the Holy Spirit means that I am under the control of the Holy Spirit. I'm under his control. The first part of the verse says, Do not be drunk with wine, which... Uh, will destroy your life, which will lead to all kinds of just self-destructive behavior. Now, you know that's true. You don't even need the Bible to tell you it's true. You just know it's true. When people come under the influence of alcohol, it makes them do some very foolish things. In fact, it lowers their judgment. It'll make them talk in ways they wouldn't ordinarily talk. It'll make them do things that they wouldn't in their right mind do. It'll make them engage in behaviors that in better moments they know they shouldn't engage in. How many times have you seen an article about somebody doing something absolutely crazy and then it'll end uh, like this. It'll say, and alcohol was involved. I was reading a story the other day about some frat guys in a college and they broke into a local store for no good reason other than just to be up to foolishness. And they broke up to a store. And by the time the police came to arrest them, they arrested them fleeing from the store in their underwear in a foot of snow. So I read a story about two frat boys fleeing at night in a foot of snow in their underwear. And the last line in the story said, and alcohol may have been a factor. I thought, well, golly. <laughs> That's a shock. Or how many times you read about somebody getting arrested in a fight in a stadium? Maybe they're going to a ball game and you see somebody just carrying on and then they get arrested. And at the end it'll say, and alcohol may have been a factor. Well, no duh, you know. Uh, it just makes people do things that in their right mind, in their wise mind, they wouldn't ordinarily do. Well, why does the Bible mention being drunk with wine and compare that to being full of the Holy Spirit. After all, one is negative and will destroy your life, and one is positive and it will redeem your life. While one is negative and one is positive, there's still some similarities between the two. And what Paul is saying is, don't do the alcohol route. Don't. Now, when a person chooses alcohol, what's happening? Or no, drugs or narcotics or anything like that. They're allowing something outside of them to come in and change their behavior. And if you've ever been around somebody who's under the influence of alcohol or some other drug, you know their behavior gets influenced. But on the positive side, let me tell you what the filling of the Holy Spirit is. The filling of the Holy Spirit is when we allow God's presence to come into our life and He changes our behavior. Alcohol will change the way you talk, it'll change the way you walk, and it'll change the decisions you make. Let me tell you what, the Holy Spirit of God will change the way you walk, it'll change the way you talk, and it will change the kind of decisions that you make. So the Bible is simply saying, just like alcohol controls a person's life and can lead to destruction, the Holy Spirit it wants to control our life in order to lead us to good. So the filling of the Holy Spirit is simply this, it's being under the control of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, I don't want anybody at Calvary to go driving under the influence. But I do want us to be living under the influence. Not the influence of alcohol or anything else which would destroy our life. But to be living under the influence of God. God's Spirit wants to control you and wants to change your behavior. And that's what the filling of the Spirit is. We're not talking about some mystical, abstract experience that's reserved for just a few. No, he's talking about letting God's presence that lives in us 
control and dictate our behavior. So first of all, that's what it means. Now, what are some other things we can learn about it from this verse? Second thing is, we know this. It is a command for all believers. This verse is written in an imperative, which means that it is a command. It's written as a command. You Christians, you followers of Christ, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a command for believers. This isn't a command for unbelievers. This was written to the church. It's saying those of you who are followers of Christ need to be under the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Now that tells us that not every Christian is under the fullness or living in the filling of the Holy Spirit. I'll say some more about that in a moment. Uh, I believe every Christian has the Holy Spirit. You wouldn't be a Christian if the Holy Spirit weren't in your life. Of course the Holy Spirit's in your life if you know Jesus. But that doesn't mean the Holy Spirit is in control of your life. That doesn't mean you're allowing him to influence your behavior. So this is a command for every believer. That means it's not automatic. That means there are some Christians who are under the filling of the Holy Spirit and some Christians who are living outside the filling of the Holy Spirit. And that's why God says this. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And the fact that it's a command means this is not optional. This isn't for just a reserved few. This isn't for the super spiritual. This isn't for the folks riding in first class and you're back here in coach. No, God wants you to know the filling of the Holy Spirit. In fact, it's a command. The third thing I know about it from this verse is this. It is a continual action. It requires continual action. It's written in the present tense. Now, what that means is this. It indicates ongoing activity. If you were to translate this verse, maybe literally, you might translate it this way. Go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Or continue being filled with the Holy Spirit. Or be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. What that means is the filling of the Holy Spirit is something that needs to occur continually throughout our life. It is not a one-time experience. Somebody says, well, I had an experience where I was filled with the Holy Spirit. Good. Have you been filled with the Holy Spirit today? Are you living in the fullness of the Holy Spirit? Are you going to walk in the filling of the Holy Spirit next week? This verse indicates the filling of the Holy Spirit needs to continue in our life. Somebody said we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit continually because we're leaky vessels. Well, the analogy may break down at some point, but the theology is good. We need to continually seek the control of God in our life. Now, some people think the filling of the Holy Spirit is one occurrence that happens after we get saved. Some people will teach you get saved and then there'll be an experience where you receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The filling of the Holy Spirit is something I need to thirst for continually. The Holy Spirit is something I receive when I become a believer. The filling of the Holy Spirit is something that happens continually through my life. Somebody asked me one time, did you get the second blessing? And I said, well, I'm not sure what you mean. Because you see, in Jesus, I got every blessing that I ever need. But let me tell you, since I've known Jesus, there have been experiences in my life where God broke through in a powerful and fresh way. I've had times in my life where there's been a fresh surrender and a fresh brokenness and a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. And it's not just a second blessing. Friend, I want the third blessing and the fourth blessing and the fifth blessing. I want all the blessings. I don't know about you, but this next week, I need to live in the filling of the Holy Spirit. Today, as I got ready to preach, my prayer was, God, 
fill me with your spirit. I want to be under your control. So the filling of the Holy Spirit is something that happens continually throughout our life. The fourth thing I learned from this verse is that filling of the Holy Spirit indicates it requires my complete surrender to God in my life. See, this verse is also written in the passive tense. That means it's something that somebody else has to do for me. I can't just be filled with the Spirit. Somebody else has to fill me with the Spirit. That's what God does. The filling of the Holy Spirit isn't something I just stand up and say, okay, I'll take it right now. The filling of the Holy Spirit is me saying to the Lord, the living God, God, I know you're here. I know you live within me because I received you as my Savior. And I'm surrendering my will. I'm surrendering my agenda. And I am asking you to take control of me right now. I'm asking you to fill me with your presence. I'm not living with the fullness right now. I want to be under your control. Father, please control me right now. And that's what the filling of the Holy Spirit is. It's to be under the control of God. It is something that I do uh, because God commanded me to do it. It is something that is for every believer. It is something that I do continuously. And it is something I do by surrendering my life to God. So here's what I want you to know. It's not some mystical experience that somebody has if they shout real loud. It is something that God wants for you. It is something God has for every single believer. And if you're not living under the fullness of the Holy Spirit this morning, then something bad is missing in your spiritual walk. Now, I want to give you four things that you need to do to live under the filling of the Holy Spirit. Four things that we need to do to be filled with the Spirit. This term, filled with the Spirit, is not used frequently through the New Testament. It's used several times. This is a very unique command, be filled with the Spirit. But commands about how we're to treat the Holy Spirit are very common. And in fact, what I want to do is use some of those commands to teach you four steps to being full of the Holy Spirit, to be completely under His control. Now, the first step is the one you might have imagined. But you know what? We can't skip this step. Because as I teach to this large crowd here, I want you to know exactly what you have to do to be under God's control in your life to be under the filling of the Holy Spirit. And the first step is, I need to receive Jesus as Lord. That's the first step. When a person gets saved, that is when they become forgiven, when they receive Jesus Christ into their life, trusting Him to forgive them of their sin, that is when the Holy Spirit comes into our life and begins His work. Now again, some people get confused about this. I've heard some people say, well, some Christians have the Holy Spirit and some don't. That's not true. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit. Friend, if you didn't have the Holy Spirit, you're not a Christian. (laughs) If you didn't have the Holy Spirit, you couldn't even become a Christian. In fact, after the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit of God is poured out upon His people, that was a historical event. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes out and He is poured out into our life, after that, you never read one time in any of Paul's writings, all right, you Christians need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. No, because the Holy Spirit had already been poured out. The Bible tells us the baptism of the Holy Spirit is what happens when you receive Jesus as your Savior. The Holy Spirit comes into your life and He forgives you and He cleanses you and He comes to live within you. But after that, Paul does write and say, now that you've been baptized in the Spirit, now that He lives within you, now you do need to be filled with the Spirit. So the first step is, I need to receive Jesus as my Savior. 
I need to listen to what the Holy Spirit's saying to me when he's saying, you need Christ, you need to be forgiven, you need to turn from your sin and trust in him, and you do that. Last week, we had a wonderful beach baptism. How many of you were there last week as we went out to San Kimba? We got to baptize, hundreds were there. We got to baptize 81 people last Sunday as they professed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It was a great day. And many of those people were making their profession of faith. Some of them had received Christ that morning. We had many get saved at both services. Some of them were actually professing faith out there at the beach event. It's wonderful. Some people walked up and prayed with some of our folks, and they were out in the water. Some had done it weeks and months before. But they had come to that place in their life where they believed what the Bible said about Jesus. They admitted their sin, and they received Christ as their Lord. Look at what the Bible says. Two verses here to make sure our biblical understanding of the Holy Spirit is correct. One is 1 Corinthians 12, 3. Paul said, therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul wasn't just talking about mouthing words. You could get up and say anything, I suppose. What he was talking about is nobody can come to a point in their life where they profess and believe with their heart that Jesus Christ is Lord unless the Holy Spirit of God brought them there. Somebody says, well, I'm saved, but I don't have the Holy Spirit. No, if you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit. How do you think you got saved? God's presence spoke to you. God's presence revealed your sin to you. God's presence pointed you to Jesus. God's presence convicted you that day. And when you prayed and asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart, who came into your heart? The physical Jesus in flesh and blood? No, he's in heaven. Who came into your life? His spirit, his presence came and began to live within you. So it is absolutely incorrect to teach or believe that some Christians have the Holy Spirit and some don't. Friend, if you've met Jesus, you've got the Holy Spirit. That's how he comes to live within your life. Romans 8, 9, look at this verse. Romans 8, 9 says, And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. So somebody says, well, I don't have the Holy Spirit. Then you need to come and receive Christ. And if you've received him, then he lives within you. But it doesn't mean he controls you. You need to let him control you. And that takes us to the second thing you need to do. First, receive Christ as Lord. The second thing you need to do, if you want to be full of the Spirit, stop doing the things that Jesus wouldn't do. There are going to be some things in your life that you have to quit doing. There are some things that Paul says you have to put off. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul gives us this command. Grieve not the Spirit. And before he gives us that verse, look at the verse he gives us in verse 22 of Ephesians 4. He says, and he's talking to believers, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. And then he says in verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. I wish I had time to teach this whole passage. Grieving the Holy Spirit. If I want to be full, listen, if I want to be full of the Spirit, I cannot grieve the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit? How many parents here, don't raise your hand, but how many parents here have ever been grieved at what you see your child doing? They're making a decision that breaks your heart. You're praying for them. You've counseled them. You've tried to teach them, but they're doing something you know is not right. You know something that's self-destructive and unwise. And what does it do? It grieves you, doesn't it? It makes you sad. I spoke with a mother this week. She said, 
I asked God, God, why am I still so sad? Would you take the sadness away? And she said, God told me if I took the sadness away, you'd quit praying. I thought that was a great word. Boy, it grieves us when we see somebody we love doing something that's wrong. It grieves our heart. The Bible says you can grieve the Holy Spirit. When you do things that Jesus doesn't want you to do, and if you had time reading Ephesians 4, Paul gives a long list of being angry and unforgiveness and rage and all kinds of things. And Paul says when you do those things, you don't put off those things. You keep doing things Jesus wouldn't do. Here's what the Holy Spirit does. He's grieved. The Holy Spirit doesn't leave you when you sin. He grieves you when you sin. You break his heart. He doesn't leave, but he does grieve. He doesn't leave you any more than you quit loving your children who sin. But you break his heart. Can you imagine walking with somebody who's your friend and everything you suggest they ignore? Let's do this. They say, no, I don't want to do that. Let's not go here. I don't want to go there. No, I'm, I'm going to go there anyway. And you walk with them through the day and everything they suggest, everything, you just ignore them. I don't want to do this. I don't want to go there. You know what? Before long, they're going to be grieved. The Holy Spirit, listen, the Holy Spirit went with you everywhere you went last week. He listened to everything you listened to and watched everything you watched. For some of us, we've grieved him. We've wounded. He still, he loves us. He's just grieved. And if you want to be in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, you know what? You have to put away those things that make him sad, that grieve him, because the reason they grieve him is because he loves you. And it breaks his heart to watch you doing things that are destroying your life or harming your testimony or hurting, uh, hindering what he wants to do in your life. Those sins that we commit, the disobedience we allow in our life, grieves God and it causes us not to live in the fullness of the Holy Spirit I knew a farmer one time and he had many many acres of land hundreds of acres of land and in his land he had a beautiful stream a mountain stream that came bubbling down and rolled through a picturesque valley and he loved that stream cool clear lovely water flowed through and one summer he noticed that late in the spring it began to it began to it just began to start drying up the the water level began to fall and and, and he noticed it getting worse and worse, and he thought it was the rain, but then he realized it had no correlation to the rain, and as the summer went on, it just began to, to dry up until it became kind of a muddy trickle. He finally said, I'm going to figure out what's going on. He put on his hiking shoes. He went up through the woods, up into the hills to find out what was wrong with the stream, and he came up on a place where a beaver, a group of beavers, had dammed up the stream. They got in the water and cut down some logs and they had put all kinds of debris in that stream and rocks and small pebbles and mud. They'd build a little home that they have there. And they had dammed up the flow of that river. Well, the farmer, first of all, got him a new beaver skin hat. That's the first thing he did. <laughs> and then he went into that stream and he began to pull those logs out. And he began to take those stones and pebbles. And every time he took a rock out, the stream started flowing a little bit more. And he got some of that mud and debris and he hauled it away. And he he got uh, uh, some tools and he began to clean out that river. And everything he began to move, the stream began to flow again. It wasn't long before that cool, clear water was flowing again. The Holy Spirit doesn't leave your life. But our sins are like those rocks and that mud and those woods and that stick and that debris. It grieves him. 
And it quenches his flow in our life. And instead, for some of us, of the Holy Spirit being a living water that's just gushing out of us this morning with cool, clear, wonderful water, it's a muddy stream because we've grieved the Holy Spirit. You want to be full of the Holy Spirit? Don't grieve him. Don't grieve him. Here's the third thing. First of all, receive him. Then secondly, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Quit, quit doing things Jesus wouldn't do. Here's the third thing. Start doing what he would do. Pursue the character of Jesus. Look at this next command that pertains to the Holy Spirit. It's in Galatians 5. Again, Paul wrote all of these. Galatians 5, Paul writes this. I say then, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And then he says in verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Twice Paul says there, we need to walk in the Spirit. If you want to be full of the Holy Spirit, you've got to walk in the Spirit. Well, preacher, what does that mean? Walk in the Spirit. Are you talking about Casper the Friendly Ghost? What does that mean? No, it means to walk with the Spirit. What happens when you take a walk with somebody? Two things. First of all, there's a shared companionship. I'm walking in unison with them. You know, it's, it's hard to argue with somebody when you're walking with them. Have you ever noticed that? It's really hard to, because you're walking along together. And the other thing is, not only do I share a fellowship with them when I'm walking with them, I share a common destination with them when I'm walking. We're going the same place together. To walk in the Spirit is this, to walk with God. It is, in Henry Blackaby's words, to practice the presence of God. It means I'm walking in fellowship with Him today, and it means I'm going the same place he wants me to go today. I'm headed in the direction he wants me to head. And the Bible says when we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And then it says the fruit of the Spirit or the product of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Have you ever noticed when you walk with somebody, you go the same place they're going? Have you ever noticed people who are married for a long, long time? You know, 40, 50 years. They've been married a long time. Have you ever noticed this? They kind of start looking like each other. Have you noticed that? Isn't that kind of... Well, that's bad for you ladies. I'm sorry, but that's just the way it goes. I mean, not exactly alike, but they just, they kind of go together. Have you noticed that? You kind of look at them and say, they go together. They, they, you can't imagine one without the other. They've been walking together. They even like the same things. And, and some of you folks have been married a long time. You know how to finish each other's sentences, don't you? Somebody will start and you finish. You go, I, why? They've been walking together. The long, what's really weird is when the dog starts looking like they do. And I don't understand that. I don't, I don't have a verse for that one. But, but boy, when people walk together, they, they, they become like each other. There are things that today I, I, I have a greater appreciation for because I've been walking with my wife for a long time. In fact, this, this December, we'll be married 25 years. I, I'm so excited in December. And we've been walking together. So there are things that I appreciate I would have never appreciated if Cheryl wasn't in my life. See, I, the, truth is I just, the truth is I just don't have any class. That's the truth. I mean, really, I, for me, high culture is a Willie Nelson concert. That's real culture. I, a couple years ago, we went to the Vatican. And I, and, and, uh, I mean, it's, I love the history of it. And we got to go to Rome, spend a day. And, but if you ever get a chance to go to the Vatican, I'd pass if I were you. Just, I mean, be honest with you. I... I I, you know, I, now my wife loved all the art and the statues, and I, it was amazing uh, for about five minutes. It was amazing, and, and, and I mean, there's a lot of naked men statues. That's just what got me. I, I, 
about three or four of those did me, you know, that was enough for me. And, and, but you know what? The more I hang around my wife, the more I actually started appreciating some of the art that I would have never appreciated because I don't have any class, you see. And we went in somebody's home the other day and she stopped. She said, oh, what a lovely Monet. I said, mayonnaise, are we eating? Or is it time? There's lunch? <laughs> mayonnaise, I love it. No, Monet, the picture. And she used to tell me all about it. And you know, I can go back and think over the last 25 years, there are things that I've learned to appreciate simply because we've been walking together. There might have even been some things she's learned to appreciate because she's been walking with me. You know what? You rub off on each other. Now, here's what's happened. When I go walking with the Holy Spirit, watch this. You know what? I become more like Jesus. I begin to love the things that he loves. I begin to appreciate the things he appreciates. And the fruit of the Spirit in my life is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, gentleness. Have you ever seen somebody under somebody else's influence and they come around you and you that you've been hanging around so and so? I can tell by the way you talk. Your attitude just gets sorry. I know where you've been. Folks, when you hang around Jesus, people look at you and go, you know what? There's more love in your life. There's more kindness. There's more self-control. There's more gentleness. You're more patient, aren't you? Why? Because you've been walking in the Spirit. You've been pursuing the same thing with the Holy Spirit of God. And that's what it means to be under the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I'm walking with Him. When you go home today, here's your prayer. Don't worry about next week. That'll that'll come soon enough. Don't worry about last week. Here's the question. Am I going to walk with Jesus today? And tomorrow morning when you wake up, Ask yourself this question, the first question. Am I going to walk with Jesus today? And don't ask the question, make the decision. Say, I'm going to walk with Jesus today. I'm going to know that he's there. I'm going to talk to him as I go along the way. And I'm going to learn to walk in the Spirit. Number four, first, receive him as my Lord. Number two, put away those sins that grieve him. Number three, begin to walk in the Spirit. Here's the fourth command that relates to the Holy Spirit. This one's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 19. Paul wrote this one. He said, do not quench the Holy Spirit. And the fourth thing is follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit will prompt us to do things. And living in the fullness of the Holy Spirit means that when God's Spirit prompts us, we follow the prompting. Paul said in Acts 20, 22, and now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. Has the Holy Spirit ever compelled you to do something? I'm sure He has if you're a believer. There have been times you just felt compelled. He he compelled you to get saved. That, That was the Holy Spirit. But what happens when you ignore the voice of the Holy Spirit? What happens when the Holy Spirit speaks into your life and He gives you a prompting and He compels you to go somewhere and you resist that? You know what it's like doing? It's like taking a water hose and the water's going through and you just, you you bend it. You ever done that? And it quenches the flow of water. You quench the Holy Spirit of God when you say no to Him. When you ignore His voice. Some of us are wondering, as we hear others share their testimony, we wonder... How come somebody just senses the Holy Spirit so easily? You ever hear people like that? They just felt a prompting and they made a phone call at the very time somebody needed to hear from them. They felt the prompting to go up and have a conversation and they went up and it was a divine encounter. And we think, well, I wish the Holy Spirit spoke to me that clearly. Can I tell you something? If you want the Holy Spirit to speak to you that clearly, you've got to listen to Him when He does speak. He doesn't speak for your entertainment. He speaks 
for your edification. He speaks because he wants you to do something. You hear his voice when you learn to say yes. I've told this story. Uh, it's one of my favorite stories I've told in teaching. But my first pastorate, where Cheryl and I first went to, I was pastor, was a little church in Dora, Alabama. 58 people in Sunday school. We've got more people in the choir than that now. But we had 58 people in the whole, the whole church. It was, it was just great. And uh, I learned to love those people. And I was 20 years old when I went to be their pastor. I mean, what do you, I, I thought I knew everything. But I look back and think, boy, what were they thinking? 20 years old. And I called Pastor Anderson, who was the pastor here at that time. I grew up here, and I called Pastor. I said, Pastor, what? Yeah, I'm 20 years old. Give me some advice. I came, just learned to tie my shoes last week. What, what am I going to do pastoring these folks? And the first thing he told me was, I remember this, because he had given me lots of advice, theological and other words. He said, win their hearts. Win their hearts. I said, what does that mean? He said, you show them you love them. Well, how do I do that? He, he, he said, well, I'll give you an example. He said, why don't you, as a little country church, little country community, you find the shut-ins in that community, in that church, the folks who are elderly and used to go to church, they can't go to church anymore, you go by and just pray with them over the first couple of weeks. Just stop in and have a word of prayer with them. Tell them you love them, you're the pastor, and anything you can do. He said, you'll win their hearts. They'll be talking, and I said, I'll do it. So when I went there, I went to see Mrs. Frederick. She was one of my first visits. She was 93 years old. I went to see Miss Frederick there in this little old ramshackle house, and, and she was a big woman. I, I mean, just physically, she was tall, just a large woman. And she had, she sat there in this chair. She couldn't, she wasn't very mobile, but it was one of those mechanical chairs. I'd never seen one. She hit a button, and it would just raise her up. You ever seen those? It would just, she, I was sitting there talking to her, and she said, let me show you this, Pastor. She hit this button, she raises up. She's about six feet tall. She raised her up. And I thought, Lord, she's going to fall on me and kill us both right here. I was scared to death. I was spooked already. And then and she lowered it back down. And she went off talking. And, and if you ever visit shut-ins, you know they just talk, 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 talk. So she's talking. And in the middle of her conversation, I heard this horrible noise. I mean, this loud, deafening noise began to shake the house. And I thought, the Lord's coming back right now. I mean... Uh, uh, here, and, and she couldn't hear it. She just talk, I thought, well, she's hard of hearing. She can't even hear. The Lord's come back. She can't even hear it. She kept right on talking, and the noise began to dissipate. And I, I said, uh, and she could see I was startled. And when she took a breath, I said, Miss Frederick, what was the noise? The loud noise. Oh, she said, preacher, that was the train. I said, the train? Is it run down your hallway? Where's the train? She said, she said, no, it's in the backyard, preacher. It's just a few feet from my door. And I went to the back door and looked out, and I mean maybe, maybe 20 feet from the back door was a train track. And I said, Mrs. Frederick, how in the, why did you build your house next to the train track? She said, preacher, we were here first, I'm telling you. I built this house 75 years ago. They put the train track here. And the first time they did, we were so excited. The train came rolling through. We waved. We were happy. Oh, it was thrilling. And she said, then we went to bed the first night. <laughs> About 2.15 in the morning, that train came rolling through. House began to shake. The windows began to rattle. The bed started jumping up and down. And, and, and she thought, good night. 
Uh, she said, I got in touch with somebody at the train company. I said, is that going to happen often? She, they said, yes, ma'am, every night. And I thought, I'll never sleep. I guess I've slept my last good night's sleep in all my life. And she said, preacher, I, I, the only thing I could do is go back to bed the next night. Same thing happened, 2.50, run through. Every night. She said, but you know a funny thing happened? She said, after about 10, 12 days, I could go to sleep and never hear the train. And she said, to this day, I never hear it. And then she said something I knew I would never forget. She said, I reckon, preacher, if you quit listening to something long enough, you just won't hear it anymore. And I won't tell you, some of us have quenched the Holy Spirit in our life. It's not because he's left us. And it's not because he doesn't live within us. We've just quit listening. And he's waiting. In fact, the Holy Spirit can roll through like a freight train and we don't hear it. He's waiting for us to go and clean that stream out and get rid of those things that grieve the Holy Spirit. He's ready for us to begin to walk in the Spirit. And he's ready for us to say, Father, I'm not going to quench the Spirit anymore. You know what some of us need to do? Some of us need to say, Lord Jesus, the same one who saved me, I'm asking you today to fill me. Fill me again with your presence. I want you to pray with me this morning. Every head's bowed and every eye's closed. And I know right now there's about out of time, but I, I want to just pray for you right now this morning. I want to pray for you. Every head's bowed and every eye's closed. You may be here this morning, and if you want to be under the control of the Holy Spirit, it begins by receiving the Holy Spirit. And you've never done that. And maybe this morning you'd begin to do that by saying, yes, I want Jesus to come into my life. You might pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I do need you in my life. I admit my sin. I admit my guilt. I need your forgiveness. Please forgive me. Come to live in my heart today. Make me your child. Friend, with a simple prayer like that, the Holy Spirit of God will come into your life, the presence of Jesus, and forgive you and begin to live within you right now. Right now. You may be here and you're a believer today. Many, many hundreds of believers here. But you're not full of the Holy Spirit today, are you? And he hadn't left you, no. But you're not full of the Holy Spirit today. Do you want to be full of the Holy Spirit? Do you want Him to control your life? The Bible says be full of the Holy Spirit. Why don't you pray this prayer with me? If you feel like you're not full of His Spirit, would you pray this prayer? Let's pray the Scripture together. Say, living God, I know you saved me, and I know I'm your child. I am so sorry I have grieved your Spirit. I'm so sorry I've allowed things in my life that have hindered your work. I know you've forgiven me. You've already extended your forgiveness. But Father, help me to turn from that which grieves you. Thank you for forgiving me. And Lord, help me to walk in your spirit today. Help me to walk with you today. 
to go the same place you're going. And Father, help me not to quench your spirit today by failing to listen to you when you speak to me. Please fill me today with your Holy Spirit. And it's in the name of Jesus I pray. And Father, I pray for everybody here who's prayed these prayers. Maybe some to open their heart to you, others to say, I need to be full of your spirit today. Lord, help us to live under your influence, under your control. It's my prayer today, our prayer today, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.